Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is writer-director of A Violent Man, Ross McCall. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Now, before we get into details about the film, do you want to give the audience a brief synopsis to what A Violent Man is all about? It's uh, a very easygoing romantic comedy mm. uh, about uh, a, a prisoner called Steve Mackelson. I'll be serious now. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a gritty, realistic, I feel... Um, internal look at the prison system, especially in the UK, but but really it's, it's, it's world-renowned. Um, and it follows one man's internal struggle with who he is and what being incarcerated has done to his life and the acceptance that goes along with that. Uh, on his journey, he's slightly uh, put off balance because he's now got a new cellmate for the first time in a long time. And it's a, a young gang member from the same estates that he grew up in. Mm. Uh, and it's how he sort of navigates having this new partnership, if you if you will. You know, I wanted to stay away from the father-son relationship that we've all seen. It's, it's not about that. It's not mm. teacher-pupil. It's just about two men from similar backgrounds with a, with a vast age difference um, and one who is extremely experienced in the world of prison and one kid that's literally getting a taste of it for the first time. Mm. And it's watching their journeys collide. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's as you joked about what it is at the start, because in a way, what mm-hmm. I expected and what I saw were two very different things. I mean, it's obviously, with the title like that, it does have its its moments of brutality. But, but really, I thought it was a really tender film with an existential portrayal of what it, what it might be like to be in prison. I'm so glad that you picked up on that. Yeah. I mean, look, that, the, the, the type of films that I tend to write and, and now direct, um, but also ones that I've produced and had a hand in, um, tonally, they're all pretty similar. And, and yes, there is a romanticism there. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, a love story. It's not, but it's, it's certainly a, um, a reading on an, you know, an internal struggle of, of a man who's committed some horrendous crimes. Yes, the title was there. It's a little bit of clickbait. I understand some people might be jumping on this going, oh my God, this film, you know, it's about a bunch of geezers in, in prison smacking 10 tons of shit out of each other. It's not. 
it's um, you know it's it's a more meaningful um, film. Hence the reason we cast it the way we cast it. You know, uh, Craig is is our lead, um, and I've surrounded him with top notch independent and studio filmmaking actors. Um, and the reason I did that was because I wanted to stay far away from you know another East End. Uh, you know, or Wandsworth, you know, prison setting where everybody's shanking each other in the showers. We've all seen it and I didn't want to explore that. What I wanted to explore is what it actually does to a person, um, no matter what crime they've committed, is their empathy with that person. And, you know, you do, you really, you really feel for this very dark, tortured soul. Um, and I think you come away from it, you, you've obviously seen the whole film, you know, you come away from it in a weird way, understanding him and, and perhaps feeling compassion towards him, which is a really hard thing to do when you see how he, you know, how he gets by inside that, that prison. Well, it's the fact that he, he understands who he is and knows he can be different, but when push comes to shove, he is what he is. And that that must be your that must be drive you insane as clearly it does. A hundred percent, and you know, but I mean, yeah, he's he's not in any form of denial about who he is, and I think that's that acceptance um, has served him well. And and he's also very, you know, he's he's got no grand disillusions that he's going to get out and be a free man one day. He knows where he's at, and he, I mean, he he says it, you know, in a moment in the film where he's. He understands the people outside of this world don't understand it. And he's okay with that too. But he's like, you just have to be okay with, I know who I am. I have ire in my blood. That's who I am. I'm not shying away from it. And I will leave my legacy here. And I'm okay with that. Now, look, you, you wrote and directed this. So as a writer myself, I'd love to know, what, what was the catalyst for you that, that was the start of the idea that became this movie we now see today? Where does that journey start for you as a writer? Well, uh, it's sort of twofold, really. I've, I've been in a couple of, uh, you know, I've acted in a couple of prison films that um, as much fun as I had in them, mm. I, I felt weren't really depicting the reality that I was seeing when I was researching. Mm. Um, so that was first and foremost, uh, first and foremost in, in, the, in the, you know, start of my brain. Yeah. I was like, could I, do, could I do a film that makes an audience feel what it must feel like to be in a prison. Now that's that's a dangerous line to 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 you know to keep your feet on because the truth is, as an audience member, I don't want to be sat in a cinema feeling that I'm in prison. Mm. But in truth, that's sort of what we're doing, and it's interesting because it does it gives you anxiety, but it also makes you come out of this with no gloss, and you go, "That's a place I would not want to be in." Mm. And I feel that a, a lot of prison films I'd watched previously glamorized it in some way. Hollywoodized it in others. Mm. Um, and I'm a huge fan of those films. I'm not knocking them. You know, I'm a big fan of, of Bronson. I'm a big fan of Startup. I'm a big fan of, you know, Papillon and Cool Hand Luke and all the old ones. Mm. Um, but none of them were showing the, the gritty reality that I'd seen. And the reason I'd seen them was I was writing a, a, a TV spec script many years back and it was all set within privatized prisons in America. So okay. I ended up going to some American prisons one in particular, which is Angola State Prison, which is just the most infamous, bloodiest yeah, prison yeah, yeah, still yeah. in America. Gets mentioned a lot on um, Justified. Yeah, of course. And it's like, and it's still, it's still dated. You know, there's still horse guards on horseback with the, with the mirrored shades and the, you know, yeah, the convicts out, you know, skimming the wheat and digging the ditches. And it's a really strange 
place where these youngsters are, are just thrown into a system that perhaps is monetized in a, in a way uh, through the privatization of, of, of prisons. Uh, there's there's money to be made. And that just sort of fascinated me, that world. And I wasn't seeing that on film. So that was one reason for me to go, could I write a, a prison drama that I believe shows the inner workings of somebody who's locked up in a cell mm. for, for life? Um, and then on the, on, the, on the polar opposite of that, the film that I'd written just before that I started and produced in, it was yeah. directed by Stefan Schwartz, uh, was called About Us. And, and that, again, tonally is actually very similar to A Violent Man, but it's quintessentially about broken love. It's about, you know, self-love mm-hmm. and, and, and it's heartbreaking. Um, and so with A Violent Man, I was like, could I do something completely opposite in, in the sense of one's about love? I'll do one about hate mm. and self-hate. And could I have these two back-to-back that are just completely different from one another, but you can, you can tell that I, you know, there's a flavor. Mm. Um, and honestly, that was it. I, I, you know, I, I cranked it out relatively quickly. Um, but I've been researching for years, you know, I've, I've been a big documentary fan and I've watched pretty much every prison documentary you can think of. Um, and then I saw a brilliant Danish film called R it's the letter R okay. that, um, a dear friend of mine, Charlie Hunter, an actor, he, uh, he told me about it when I was telling him that I was putting this prison film together. He's like, you should see this Danish film. And, and I watched it and I was like, that's the closest, that's the closest that I've seen mm. that depicts the world that I want to show. So, uh, with that in my back pocket, I just sort of went, okay, I'm going to go make this happen and, you know, get it down and get it sorted to the place where I, I, I thought it was going to be interesting to, to watch as a viewer. You're right, because it's it's not like any portrayal I've seen of a prison film. Other words I wrote down while I was while I was watching it was intimate and claustrophobic. Because because essentially, there is the usual trope in a prison film is obviously we leave the cell and we get to see the prison, you know, the the wider population, the wing, as it were. But what you've done is keep you've held us tight in this cell. I mean, obviously we move through time and space still, but we don't leave this. We don't really leave the cell. In fact, I don't think we do. People come into the cell. People come in, don't they? And, and they talk to they talk to the characters, but we don't leave it. And that as, as that, it wasn't till halfway through that I realised why I was so tense because it was I hadn't been able to leave the room. People had come in, but I hadn't. You know, from the point of view the film's coming from, you weren't allowed to leave. So, on the page, what was the story challenges there about not having the freedom to just walk around a prison? You know, well, I, I feel that that's that's part of my my situation is I I tend to write. I, I, I write myself into a corner to see if I can get out of it. So with About Us, my, my journey was, could I make a, a feature film with basically two lead roles, just two characters? Um, and I eventually brought in a third character. So it, that changed slightly, but I was like, could I make a film where there's only three, three people? And, and we did. And so with, with A Violent Man, it wasn't anything to do with budgetary reasons or, or whatnot. And listen, I'm not the first to, to do a film in a room. Or, or No, but I think being a prison movie and what our expectations of one, I think it was a bold move, you know, just to, because being in a prison itself is a single location. There's not a lot of places you can go, but. Well, well, well my whole MO to that was, yeah, I, wanted, I, want, I wanted people to, to feel like what it would be like to be in prison. And, and so, so when I was writing it, the timeline was the interesting thing. I had to give myself, okay, I have to stretch this over, let's say 12 months, because, you know, I can't just do it 24 hours in a cell because that's going to get really monotonous just as a, as, as a story 
point. Um, you know, but the plot is, it's funny, we've, we've had some beautiful reviews, like really stunning reviews for this film. And we've had, that's the only one, maybe two that were a bit, you know, on the fence. And, and one of their problems was, it was like, well, there's no plot. And I was like, that's crazy to me. You're not seeing it because it, there's an absolute through story here and it takes place over 12 months. Um, and what that did was it allowed me to, to literally fade down. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know how you can get to the end of that film and not feel like you've watched the story. I don't understand. Listen, everybody's got taste and, you know, and I take the good, and and I take good with the bad, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I listen to the good and I listen to the bad, but I don't take it on board. Um, And for me, for me, I was like, it was actually, I, I, I could take liberties by setting it in one cell because I could literally get to the end of the scene and bring something up two weeks later, you know? So it actually gave me a, a lot more freedom. It gives you a bit of a dreamlike state, which is what cinema's meant to do anyway. You know, you're kind of, you're not meant to be in real time all the time. Cinema has that magic of leaping. And if the, if you trust the audience, they'll catch up with you if they don't, if they don't know immediately. And you, and, and you, and you establish a rhythm, don't you, in the film almost with the different people you Absolutely. bring in and each one has their own tone. So when the woman's in, you definitely get a, a different atmosphere than when Jason Fleming bobs in for something or whatever. Absolutely. There's, there's different tones that, the, that each character brings in. And also, look, I mean, you know, it, it is one of those films where you, you do have to listen and you have to concentrate. You'll get lost. You know, it, it's a, a slightly slow burn, but it's done on purpose just to show you the monotony, just to show you the, you know, one of my favourite parts of, of, of the film is, you know, that first 10 minutes, nobody speaks. I mean, there's voiceover, you know, and the warden speaks, but, um, or the governor, I should say, is very American, say warden. Uh, you know, like our, our two principal roles, our two principal characters hardly say a word to one another because to me that was reality. It was like you have to earn, it's not even friendship, you have to earn companionship in these places because, you know, nobody wants to befriend, nobody, you know, they're not saying, oh, welcome, mate, you know, welcome to the room, let me show you around. It's just, you know, there's such a turnover of bodies coming through this place that you've got to earn a conversation. And so for me to watch uh, uh, the, the young kid, the Marcus role, his first night in prison, that was like something I, I hadn't seen before. I was like, could you imagine just being, you know, a, a young 19-year-old lad mm. and it's your first night in the Nick? I mean, how do you feel when that door slams, when the light goes off? You know, and you're in a room with a, a man who's, old, you know, as old as your father, probably older, a dangerous man. Mm. You know, how, how does that make one feel? And that fascinates. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it takes its time to get in, as you know, mm. but once, once the, once the train's moving, I believe you, you're in for the ride and, you know, um, you start to learn a little more about who you're watching, but you also start to, you know, even my character, when I pop up, there's something different to it, you know, and, and once you get the realization of what that is and what his relationship is with Keats, with, with the social worker, you know, just how she's the only person where he can be sort of vulnerable in the end and, and talk about being in fear. Mm. Cause to me, that's real. You know, even if a guy's murdered three people and is, is a violent man, he still has fears. And I was like, well, what would those fears be? You know, and that, that was just interesting for me to. Yeah. 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 And, I think... and, and then see it come alive with the guys was incredible. I mean, Craig, Craig Fairbrass has been on the podcast when, when villain come out, he, uh, he, he gave me his five favorite, criminal films we did with him mm. and I've had Jared Johnson on talking about muscle and now with a violent man 
I feel like Craig's been picking some, like some really meaty roles of late. You know, here's the thing with Craig. Craig's a very, very good actor, mm. and and I think, and we've all been guilty of this uh, as actors. You know, sometimes we take jobs that you know, perhaps on hindsight, we go uh, sort of putting you in a corner. But the truth is, he never put in a bad performance in anything. Mm. So for me. Once I saw villain, once I saw muscle, I was like, oh, this this guy is perfect. If you do it, this is, you know, this is great. And he trusted the hell out of me, which was just, um, you know, it's hard for an actor to trust another actor directing. Um, <laughs> because, you know, there is a little bit, of, and I've done it, you know, the, the guy who plays the the governor, Ulrich Thompson, is a dear, dear friend of mine, but wonderful actor. Um, but he directed me in his directorial debut. Uh, and I remember at first being really sort of like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this is for me, the way, you know, as an actor directing an actor. And then it turned out to be one of my greatest experiences. So I don't know if that's true or not for Craig, but I, I believe that we got such a great um, chemistry going and he knew what I wanted. And there were moments, you know, we would go up against each other and, you know, we would question it, but I have to take my hat off. I mean, he, he trusted me to, to, to steer it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm, I wasn't going to let it not be steered the way I wanted to steer it. Mm. And, and, and the, the great thing for me, and I've said this publicly to everybody, no matter what happens now with the film, I'm so, I'm so grateful and I'm so um, honoured and I'm so proud I made the film I wanted to make. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't have to cut corners. I didn't have to change it. I didn't have to do anything um, different to, to, to what I wanted. So I can only walk away with, you know, being good about it. No, I'm sure you do. You should be very proud of it. Um, where, where did you, I mean, Craig Craig is someone we know, but Stephen, mm. his, his cellmate, is not someone we know as much. So but, what what was the casting for that role and how, how did you find Stephen? Steve, Stephen had done a, a film called Blue Story that was a, a big hit in the UK. Um, you know, it got a little controversy with some gang violence breaking out outside of one of the cinemas and they tried to shut down the film and then the public spoke up and said, hey, no, this is a story we want to hear and um, it got like a, a second lease of life. And then Suzanne Smith and Sarah Travis, two dear friends of mine, two cast and directors. Um, I've known Suzanne for years. Uh, I did a show called Band of Brothers, um, but I was cast out of America. And Suzanne cast a lot of the Brits. And so I eventually met her after I'd shot the show. We've been friends for, for, for so long. So I went to them as a favor. You know, I said, will you come and do this? You know, small, gritty, dark, brutal, violent film. And, uh, you know, she was... Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly hesitant to begin with, but then she saw about us, which was my other film, and she saw what we were doing and what sort of content we were trying to produce. Uh, and she said, absolutely, and I, you know, I'll forever be in the debt. And so Stevie came through the casting, you know, um, he did a self-tape for us. It was in the height of COVID. Uh, there was only about five guys that we brought in, you know, to do face-to-face mm. um, with plexiglass in front of us. It was a ridiculous setup, but, you know, it's the, the way of the world. Yeah, that's the world has changed a bit. No, of course. Uh, and, you know, and I worked with him. You know, I, I wanted to see him stretch a little more. and He did, and he took direction really well. And, uh, and I can't say enough nice things about him as a kid, just as a guy. Mm. You know, I, I, I keep telling everyone, too, I want to meet his mum one day because she's raised hell of a kid. He's such a, he's such a good soul. Mm. Um, and I needed that. I, need, I needed that, that, you know, sentimental side in somebody that was going to come. And, you know, I was going to brutalize the boy. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's getting his head ducked down toilets and he's, you know, getting, you know, slapped around. And it's, uh, it was a tough, tough deal for him. But I mean, but with him and Craig together, um, you know, Craig's been around a long time. Stevie's new. And to watch Craig kind of take him under his, under his wing as well. It, it, it was actually kind of funny for me because, you know, I'm primarily an actor. And so I'm used to being on set and, and being, number one, number two on the call sheet and, you know, having my fun with a crew and really, and I noticed when you're, when you're the director, you're the captain of the ship. So it's almost like you're the head teacher. Mm. So like all the school kids, the actors are all sort of off doing their little thing. You're the boss, aren't you? Inclu- <laughs> yeah. And you're not included. And I'm like, oh, done. Oh, done, guys. I'm, I'm one of the guys, you know. And, uh, <laughs> so it was lovely to watch Craig and him actually really. Bond. And how, as the director though, Ross, how do you, how do you, differentiate when you, because obviously they're in the same scenes a few, a good few times. So when you, when you're directing them both in the same scene, how do you vary that kind of the conversation between the two of them? Because obviously, like you say, worlds of experience between them, but they're in the same scene at that point, aren't they? Yeah. But you also, yeah, you have to learn who you're dealing with. I mean, the, the good news was, was we sat down for a good couple of weeks beforehand, the three of us, and we were reading through it a lot together. And so I was starting to figure out like, you know, how far each of them, I could push or they needed to be pushed. And so, you know, uh, Craig and I had had many conversations beforehand. We were pretty much on the same page. There were certain things, you know, that I, I, I was really uh, pushed for. And God bless him. You know, he would trust me and he would do it. And Stevie, you know, I would just whisper something different to him in the middle of a scene. And, um, you know, I was, I was doing stuff that when directors do it to me, it drives me nuts. And I was doing it to them. Which was which was which was interesting because now it sort of made me look at it very differently. Like when I'm in the middle of a scene, if a director yelled stuff out in the middle of that scene, it used to drive me nuts. And you know, I'd, I'd get annoyed. I'd be like, "Just tell me before the fucking action, and then yeah, yeah. I'll just do it." You know, don't you know? And now I understand why they would do it because you, you can get something. You can get something really, really 
almost like if you antagonize the actor a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get something from them because it, it you know, it, it's stressful, it's anxiety. They're trying to remember lines, they're trying to be in that moment, and all of a sudden you've got me yelling over the wall, do that again, and just look in his other eye. What? You know, and, and so it's like um uh and and everybody really sort of uh, sort of warmed up to that very quickly. Did you almost have to stop yourself at first when you realised what you were doing? Like the idea that this is what annoys me, but you're going, no, I need to do this. Yes and no. I mean, I mean, there was a part of me going, no, I think, I think this warrants it. I think this warrants it. And I think, you know, because I wouldn't be doing it because the camera bumped. You know, I wouldn't do it out of technical reasons. Yeah. I would definitely do it like, just give me that line again and throw this one in. Instead of me just doing a whole new take because they're already in it and as frustrating as that is, I could tell that they're still in that zone. So I'm like, throw that line out and this time, you know, say it like you're saying it to your auntie, you know, or whatever it was, you know what I mean? All my direction was that bad. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, and it was, it was just, it was, it was really, it was pleasurable to do it that way because, I mean, we just got magic. We just got magic. Well, look, the, the one the, the, we've talked about the writing of, of something that's set in one cell, but the, the shooting of something that's set in one cell is where the sort of the alchemy really comes to life in terms of what's enjoyable about your film. I think every, every choices you seem to have made with you and your cinematographer is, is about what you want us to look at. You know, there isn't, I haven't got a clue what that cell looks like, even though it's an eight by 10 cell and, and I've watched the feature film set there because what you chose to do in a way to me felt like it had a lot more in common with a, with a kind of classic noir film, in a sense. It was all about the slats of light coming through on people's faces. It wasn't about, oh, look, this is what a cell looks like. Now you know what one looks like. I mean, that would have been, that wouldn't have lasted five minutes as a film. But the fact that you kept bringing us in on the points of view you wanted us to have, I just wonder, what was the conversations like with you and Stefan? And, and is it Klupek, do I pronounce the surname? Yeah, it, it's Stefan Kupak. Yeah, we've uh, we, we've shot two films before, me as an actor and him as a DP. Um, and so he's a dear, dear friend of mine. And, and one of my uh, stipulations going into this film is, look, if we're going to do this, then I have to, you know, I have to cast it and I have to crew up, you know. So so my, my AD was vitally important. Uh, Melissa came in and just, you know, stunned us all and made sure that that, that ship was sailing smoothly when, when it needed to. An important role. And it's hugely important. Um, and, and Steph, you know, Stefan again, we're dear friends. Um, he's, he's known me always as an actor, you know, he knows what side I like to be shot on, you know? And so, and so, um, uh, but, but I, I did say to him, if we're going to do this, you know, we have to do this dance together and we have to do a lot of prep. And he was a hundred percent behind that. Um, so, so we prepped for weeks beforehand. We had our shot list. I mean, that would never be hundred percent bulletproof, but, um, we definitely knew going in what we had to accomplish and, you know, most, most other crew members and, and whatnot were skeptical whether we would get these shots done. Mm. And we just said, we'll get them done. We know what we're doing. Um, we didn't repeat a shot in the entire movie. No, it was amazing. I, I felt, I definitely felt that. Yeah, even when there's there's scenes, you know, Keats and Keats and Steve, all their scenes are sat at the table, the same fucking table, the same positions. So, so to but every single shot we made and every single scene is completely different. Um, we had just like the wonderful, you know, we our gaffer Noah, you know, had just done Star Wars, so we we had like the best of the best that that I would say 
know or I, I want to feel like it's cold outside on it. Next thing I know, the light is coming through. You know, I'm a, I'm a flair whore in the sense of I really like cinema. I really like film. And, and my whole thing about this was we can go off and make a documentary type style, style film. I've seen it. I've done it. I want this to look beautiful. I want it to look, you know, just, you know, dark and edgy, but also what you're saying, you know, we wanted lights to come through a certain way. What was great was I could say, you know, I want to do a close up of, of an eyeball. Uh, but there was a reason behind it. You know, it's not me being, you know, facetious in any way. And Steph would go, great. And then Steph would go, what do you think? It, should, should I just do this? And I'm like, absolutely. Let's go. So both of us were just like so open to being, I mean, you know, without spoiling a lot, but, you know, the, the opening key scene, I, I stay on the side of Steve's face in focus that entire time. She's out of focus for mm. you know, three minutes of, of dialogue. And, and those are things that normally studios and producers will get in on you and say, no, we need coverage, we need this. And I said, that's not this film. Like, I want long shots. I want one shots. I want, you know, the 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 Marcus tearing down the cell shot. You know, it's all one shot. Well, I must admit, I mean, I it's like, you know, you, you know when you're watching a film and you, you're making decisions very quickly as an audience member. And when you start with that inverted shot, of which you're not mm. quite sure what it is, and then you realise it's somebody getting a shiv in, which is just, I don't think that's a big spoiler because it's the opening moments of the film. Sure. Um, you can't, I, I went, I just relaxed and went, oh, I'm in safe hands here now. <laughs> it's because, because if you're making that kind yeah. of decision already, it's like, well, what, what, what yeah. I've got a lot yeah. to look forward to kind of thing. <laughs> right. And listen, I mean, that, that came out, that came out when I was cutting the film. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to shoot it from the ground and be static. And I wanted this complete, very slow fade up that you don't know where you are. You're discombobulated. You have no idea what's going on. And then this brutal act of violence happens before us with no cut. Um, and it was when I was in the edit and I went, I flip it. And I remember my editor, Alex, said me, admit this. He thought I was a madman. He's like, we can't flip. I was like, I was like, flip it, flip the image. I just want to, now I want to start it. And, and to me, you're right. It brings us into this world. It's upside down. We're discombobulated. We're anxious. We don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Even in the moments of calm, we're like, you know, it's almost like a play in, in, in essence. Um, but but my, my dream, even as an actor, is, is to be able to perform. And so I, I wanted the actors to really feel safe in that environment where I was like, listen, act your, act your socks off because I'm going to stay tight on your, you know, the side of your face or, or, you know, poor Steve, uh, uh, Steve Magnuson, I'm talking about poor Craig, you know, I think by day three, he was like, if I have to do one more shot in the mirror, and I'm like, trust me, I said, it looks stunning. You're only going to be half the screen. It's going to be you in the mirror with, you know, the little uh, uh, edges around the mirror. So it's going to be two of you and the rest of it's going to be black, you know, and he, I think he thought I was a madman too. But um, to me, I wanted it to be artistically beautiful in such a gruesome world, you know, it's a gruesome world. No, and, no I like I say, that to... was, it, I, it was what I felt comfortable with the minute, the minute it started to roll. I was like, yeah, this is, this is making, this is a bit like when I, you know, when I was watching Jared's film Muscle, the same thing, you kind of knew right. almost immediately that this was, there was invention and wanting you to enjoy, because you, because cinema is about enjoying the aesthetic. I think TV can often be about the chitter chatter and making sure you're following the story and that. But while there's, there's, there is a narrative to follow, Cinema it can can be allowed to wash over you, 
and be an experience as much as it is an involving thing. You can be distant as I, well. I as agree. I, I, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing. I shouldn't say it's nothing worse for me because I'm, I'm just a, I'm a film fan. You know, I, I love cinema. Um, I feel that a violent man is more of a film rather than a movie. You know, movies, movies tend to be a little more commercial, a little more uh, butter popcorn. You know, um, and 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 film. I, I feel I don't have to do a wide, a single shot, a two shot, and over the shoulder. Because to me, I'll get tired of that. That's what I act in on TV, you know. And, and not, not that there's anything wrong with that. What you're saying is, is, yes, the narrative on TV is different. You need to, you know, over-explain things. And I think, look, I, I'm probably guilty of overwriting. Um, I know that. You know, I still even cut down in the edit. I was going to say, so in, so in, the, in the edit then, Ross, what was... Because obviously you write it, you shoot it, and like even said there, you flip an image and it's like, that feels better. You didn't put that on the page, but you knew when you were looking at it. So what other elements of the way that you'd imagine the story began to change in the edit? Was there anything that you completely reordered or anything like that with what we see in the final film? Yeah, sort of. The, 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 well, I mean, a couple of things. The, in the original script, um, the, the meeting with the daughter wasn't there. And I put that in very late. Um, oh, wow. okay. which I'm so happy for because it's, it's, you know, an absolute pinnacle stellar scene and uh, little Rosie who plays Steve's daughter just is an absolute phenomenon. And it's at the heart, it's at that heart of what we want from the film as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But at the time of the original writing, I was like, nah, you know, we don't deserve to see it. He, he pulls out, he doesn't do it, you know? And, and um, I started leaning more and more towards the, towards the notion that we had to meet, we had to meet her. Um, and so it, that's one of those movie magical moments, you know, thank God I did. Um, and, and I guess at the beginning, you know, in the edit, we had to, because it was, it was perhaps too slow for people. I like slow. I'm into European cinema. I like it. A slow burn. I like you having to sort of figure out what's going on, but I understand that studios don't like that and, mm. and producers get a bit gun shy of that. Mm. Um, so we, you know, we, we chopped around the opening a little bit, but, but pretty much it was, it was to the, it was to the page. Look, you also always have to market a film and I understand it. And this probably has a certain audience thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, Green Street, Rise of the Foot Soldier. Mm. And th those are two movies that people know Craig and I from. It's not that film, you know that. Um, and, no. and so it's nearer to Nicholas Wan in reference. I, I, God bless you for saying it. Yes. You know, <laughs> so it's like, I don't want to scare away the people that would be going on. I want to watch another, you know, geezer belt. And it's not that film. I, I hope there's an, an arty crowd that would mm. um, be interested in seeing it. But also I think there's something in that for the green street and the foot soldier crowd too. You know, if you sit down and watch it, it's, it's not just contemplatively staring at the mirror. It has got, it has, got, it has got meat on the bone as well. Well, like. it, well it is a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it has got meat on the bone. I mean, you don't, you don't yeah. mess around in some of the scenes. I mean, I mean, right. not this, this, without the context, this is no spoiler, but, you know, the line, do you want to cut or do you want to break? I mean, those kind of lines are brilliant. And, 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 and the philosophy of, uh, of Craig's character in the beginning when he's trying to give, when he's trying to give um, Steve, he's kind of in, like he's, it's an induction, but it's not really. But it's he, he can't do it. He's got he can't help himself. And when he does the mm. whole, everyone's a cunt. What cunt do you want to be? Which was like the best way of saying nobody in here is going to be your mate, and nobody wants to be your mate. Yeah, and that's a hot. I mean, that's a hell of a society to want to have to spend years in, and almost like for a message out of your film, like 
for anyone that thinks they could do it, that's that that isn't. There's no reasoning to that kind of society. But obviously, Craig's character with his understanding of the world that he's in, and as as a, it's that survivor thing, isn't it? You know, he knows what he has to do to survive, and and he's trying to say to to Steve's character, yeah. That's what you need to do to survive. And if you don't wake up to that. And and like I said previously, you know, it's not him trying to be a father figure. You know, it's it's him going, look, this is a reality of the game you're in now. You know, and I, I love that you brought up that that line. I mean, you know, again, I think it was a guardian who who um said that that oh in prison that the the come there there obviously isn't any light bulbs because I couldn't see anything. And I was like, well, you know, if there was the light bulb in a prison, they'd use it as a weapon. So you're obviously not understanding. Um, and their other thing was they said, you know, the language and the word cunts thrown around. And I was like, again, we're not shooting in a monastery and we're shooting in a London prison. That's sort of the vernacular. Um, but also Steve's character, you know, Craig's character, Steve, he's a very well-read individual, but he's not, he's self-educated. So he's still from the streets, you know, even though he he, he knows how, you know, perhaps, you know, read The Alchemist, I don't know, but he, he, he certainly, he certainly got that, that street, lion within him and so yeah that line it was interesting it was screening last night that line elicited a laugh mm. which i loved because i was like it's so true it's like you know you got to decide what kind you want to be and and marcus laughs at it like the audience does mm. and then steve straight away i ain't a funny guy yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not pissing around here mate. like mm. you want to play ball here it is you know so i'm glad you picked up on that well, look, congratulations on the movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Thank you. And it just thank gives me to you. say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Thanks, pal. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.